Hello, you're listening to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the content manager here at PatientWorthy. And today we're going to be discussing glycogen storage disease, or GSD, which is a group of extremely rare metabolic disorders characterized by a missing enzyme that allows the liver to produce glycogen, which is essential to maintaining blood sugar in the body. Specifically, we're going to be discussing GSD-1B, which is a variant that occurs in around one out of every one million births. And to help with that discussion today, we have a very special guest. Jameis Lafreniere is the president and founder of the Sophie's Hope Foundation and Cure GSD-1B, two nonprofits dedicated to finding a cure for this condition. Jameis, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And thanks to you and Patient Worthy for giving us this platform. So very much appreciated what you guys are doing. Sure, absolutely. We're glad to have you on today. And I appreciate you coming on today to discuss glycogen storage disease. We, of course, talk about rare conditions every day on this podcast, but GSD is on the even rarer end of that spectrum. And so people might not necessarily be familiar with it. So to start with, could you give us an overview of this condition? Absolutely. You did a really good job. I'll say you, you stole a little bit of the thunder of <laughs> summarizing it. So thank you. You know, the way I explain it is GSD-1B is a rare subtype of a rare disease. There are several types of GSD, um, GSD-1 being the most common. And again, it stands for glycogen storage disease. And within GSD-1, you have 1A and 1B. Uh, 1A is more common, about 80%. GSD-1B, we're talking 20% uh, of that GSD-1 population. So, you know, the estimates are about 500 to 1,000 in the world, uh, people living with GSD-1B. So it's uh, definitely on the ultra rare side. And that's been one of the challenges. Um, and you explained it pretty well. So it's, it's a, a metabolic disease. Um, the body can't convert glucose into glycogen. So really tough to control metabolics. Uh, and, and the risk is hypoglycemia. So like you explained, low blood sugar, and that can lead to hospitalization, ultimately to death as well. So it's a, it's a very scary thing for people living with it and parents, children with it. And then GSD-1B has the added bonus, uh, low white blood cells. So they're immune systems are, are pretty weak and, you know, simple things in most people that your first line of defense would fight off uh, can turn into some really serious hospitalizations with infection. And also we've seen over time, it, it leads to uh, IBD, which can get very, very severe um, and things like Crohn's disease as well. So not only do we have the metabolic um, challenges that, that the other type one has, but we also have this added complication, which can be really scary. Now, one of your foundations, Sophie's Hope, is named after your youngest daughter who was born with GSD-1B. Could you explain uh, sort of the story of what led you into the advocacy space here? Yeah, so Sophie's a, an amazing little girl, like most of these you know, kids are with GSD and even adults. They, they've been through a lot. She was diagnosed just before she turned two. So you know, now she's a little over three, so in the fall of 2019. Um, and the diagnosis path was... It was challenging, but I, I'm very sympathetic to, to some of the other struggles that other rare diseases have where you go years and years without diagnosis. So for us, um, Sophie, she didn't, she wasn't eating well. Um, she had some food allergies. So actually it was a teen blood test um, that had people concerned at Children's Hospital in Boston and a hematologist that we were seeing actually discovered something was off and they sent her blood for 
genetic testing and um, which again at the time like if you know you as a parent you go into that that space of obviously googling things which can be very dangerous and it was a really difficult couple months kind of coming to that I you know just couldn't sit around and and not do anything so we kind of put some of our energy and I put a lot of energy into starting a foundation uh, in Sophie's name we started the foundation. Actually, we started raising money right away for a, um, a university directly. Um, and that went pretty well, pretty quickly. And we realized that, you know, for us to sustain this, that it would make sense to create a 501c3 and, and have a nonprofit. So that's how the Sophie's Hope Foundation was born. And it's been a process. I mean, we're a little over a year into this now and, and we do every day. And, you know, whether it's about how to run a nonprofit or even more, uniquely how to how to navigate the rare disease space which has has turned out to be you know more difficult than you you know than than originally uh, imagined but the Sophie's Hope Foundation you know, we had built a pretty good following locally we liked you know the name we had set it up as a 501c3 but but I personally as we started to have some success and raise some money and, and talk to some other families it became pretty clear that we needed to come up with you know, a more unified approach. So that's where the CureGSD1B.org came about. And we've really morphed ourselves into a, a true patient advocacy organization for GSD1B. Mm-hmm. And I understand uh, you're 100% volunteer-based. Uh, this this organization was literally started by you and your wife, which I got to say is a, is a common story that we've heard among rare disease advocates. You know, for, for some of these conditions, there isn't a support or fundraising infrastructure in place like there are for some um, more well-known conditions. So it's often up to family and friends to sort of get the ball rolling there. Uh, can you give us some details on what the foundation is doing to help with GSD fundraising and research? Yeah. And again, we started really small. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. We just, we, we didn't really know what we were getting into. And I think that's probably a good thing. Um, we, we just started it and we started fundraising. At the time, we were very narrowly focused on raising money for a single institution. And, you know, over time, we've kind of networking with other organizations. There, there's a lot of other things that rare diseases need to accomplish to, I guess, make use of good research that's out there. So, you know, we can talk about, I think for us, a patient registry is one of those things that, that we think is really important for GSD-1B. There's a lot of great platforms out there. Other data collection platforms like All Stripes and Citizen that I think are going to be really important for GSD-1B, just where we are with research. There's, there has been a lot of, you know, good basic research done. You know, there's a lot of organizational stuff that we're trying to accomplish, but at the end of the day, raising money and, and trying to find researchers to, to do the work that you want to get done to event, eventually come up with a cure. But even in the meantime, there are iterative steps that can be taken that, that could be improvements in treatment that we're, we're facing today. So, um, so we've been learning where we really, for the past six months to a year, have been trying to figure out how we should organize, how we should, how do rare diseases get cured? You know, what, what is the process? Because the other thing is every rare disease is in a different place. And I, I learned that after a lot of different conversations, you know, some diseases have one doctor that's, you know, doing all the research and, and that some groups have built a, an incredible network across the globe of researchers. So um, it's really about evaluating where you're at and where you want to go. 
And because GSD is a metabolic disorder that's diagnosed at a young age, now you touched on it earlier, but requires constant monitoring on the part of parents. It's genetic. So as you mentioned, there currently is no cure. Uh, Can you tell us about how the condition is managed and uh, what are some of the most common treatments for it? People always get a kick out of what the treatment right now actually is. So it's actually cornstarch. So the same thing you would use to thicken gravy. Usually it's every four hours. So that's what Sophie's regimen is. Um, And you mix the cornstarch with with Sophie right now, it's water. Uh, A lot of kids are tube fed because it's difficult or it's very risky if they don't drink it. Um, But yeah, so for for us, that is the maintenance for the metabolic control. It's cornstarch. You know, there's some families that every 40 minutes have to give their child cornstarch. And I mean, this goes through the night and it's one missed dose could be fatal. And it's, you know, I never like to talk about it, but it has been, you know, there are some really sad stories where, you know, somebody falls asleep or somebody doesn't wake up and profit. So yeah, so cornstarch is, uh, is the go-to treatment right now for the metabolic control. And basically what it does is it, it gives you that, you know, longer term uh, energy, as you know, if once the blood sugar goes up, the big risk is is that crash, and that's where GSD can get in trouble. Is if they crash too fast, their their body can't back up. And then the other thing with cornstarch is the perfect diet has to be mixed in with it. Every kid is probably a little bit different, so you you know it takes a lot of work on the parents and trying to figure out what it is. But it's a it's a high protein, low carb, pretty much no sugar. I mean. Standard is five grams of sugar or less per meal, but for us, we're, we're very careful with how much Sophie has because it really does uh, cause some trouble with the blood sugar. Again, for an adult, that type of diet might not be that big of a deal, but, but for kids, trying to get them to eat like that while consuming all that cornstarch can be very challenging. The other part of this neutropenia for 1Bs is a daily injection. So right now, you basically blast more neutrophils into the system. So it's a daily injection, giving a three-year-old a shot every morning. I mean, she's not very happy about that, but have to do it and she has to take it. And that basically gives them more neutrophils and and keeps their white blood cell counts higher. Um, Obviously not perfect, but that's the current picture of treatment right now. One of the the newer things that I think GSD patients are benefiting from is continuous glucose monitors um, so that parents can monitor their kids' blood sugar. It's giving some of these kids a little bit more control of their own health and, and monitoring. And you can kind of see trends over time. So a nice little bonus now for GSD kids being able to use the use glucose monitors and get rid of all the poking and prodding. So it sounds like for any new parent whose child is born with GSD, they're kind of going to be immediately thrust into a new world of having to think about their child's care in a way that most new parents don't have to. And and that's on top of the usual stressors of, of being a new parent. What advice do you have for parents of children with this condition? You got to find the right team. And I think that right now, and, and we can talk about it a little more, it's challenging. I mean, a lot of, you know, with rare diseases, it's really hard to find any doctors that specialize in GSD or what, you know, and people travel long distances to go see people. But I think over time, it it gets easier. We're only a year into this. So we have benefited from, you know, there's other family members on our board that have kids that are 15, 16, and and getting advice from them has been incredible. So I think my thing is, is be a part of the community. 
personally, me, my wife, I know the other folks in our board, there's other parents that would be more than happy to, to talk to people. But I think you're your, your kid's biggest advocate. Um, we've gone through a couple different doctors that just didn't seem to know enough about GSD uh, until we got comfortable with one. So I guess it's just about persistence and don't hesitate to reach out for help or advice. And for any friends or family members who may know someone with GSD, what are some ways that they can be supportive? Sheesh, that's a good question. I mean, for us, it's been hard, right? Our our family and friends have been great and, and not everybody's in the same boat. We've done a lot of fundraising. People have been super generous in that regard because we have a foundation, right? So we also have the hats and the shirts and people wearing them. Um, but just being understanding too. I mean, GSD parents, I mean, we're tired, like a lot of rare disease parents. Um, you're, you're up at, at all hours. It's stressful, um, but it's just being understanding. It's, it's similar to, you know, how you, how you feel for, you know, people with other rare diseases. One common theme that's come up throughout the past year, you know, the pandemic, M- medical systems all over the world, thrown into chaos by it. And We've heard from our guests that it's hit the rare disease community especially hard. You know, there are already barriers to treatment and research there that were just exacerbated by the medical system having to pivot in such a big way. Uh, can you talk about how GSD in particular has been affected by the pandemic? Yeah, you you hit it pretty good there. I think GSD-1B in general, right, with neutropenia, I think there was that major fear of what would happen if they got covid And then as caregivers, like if one of us were to get sick, because it really does take two people to take care of these kids and get up in the night and do that. So so those were two things that were specific to GSD or or rare disease in general. But the other thing for us is we did pre-COVID, we had what we would consider a, a GSD clinic. We had a program, we had an incredible doctor who had dedicated years of his life to GSD. He had a research lab. We got into that clinic right before COVID. So it was at February of 2020. We, we left there feeling pretty good. We, we talked with the doctor for hours about all the research that was happening. And then COVID hit about a month later. And we got a call from that institution basically saying, hey, um, that program was evaporated, <laughs> mm. for, for lack of a better term. Uh, and that doctor ended up leaving medicine and, and working for a pharma company. So at that time in the middle of COVID, we have 400 plus patients from all across the globe. We're kind of left scrambling to find new doctors. And it was, it was a really, really difficult stretch. Um, it was very difficult to find doctors that had any GSD experience. There were some people that had been patients of that same clinic for 20 years, 10 years, five years. So this, this was a huge blow to everybody. Some people still haven't gotten in to see new doctors. So it's, it definitely took a big toll on the GS community. I feel like it took the wind out of our sails. I think we had some really good momentum from a research perspective. And as you know, a lot of research stopped in general, you know, because everybody was focused on the vaccine. And now here we are a year later after all that, that happened. And you know, we're going to have to have a different strategy. You mentioned earlier that a patient registry is one of the goals of your organization. Speaking of sort of picking up the pieces, finding a new path forward away from COVID, can you talk about why a patient registry is such a vital step for GSD-1B? Yeah, I think for us, right, again, 
maybe maybe previously it wasn't because we did have this, you know, what you call a, a clinic or a center of excellence, however people want to refer to it. But I think now realizing and, and just in my conversations with a lot of experts, not even really knowing the number of patients or estimates, I think is a big problem. So for us, I think it's something that we can control, meaning the patient organization or the, patient, the patients, we can take control of the data. Um, I do believe in the power of data. And, you know, obviously the goal is to get into clinical trials at some point. And I think the more organized and also the more um, streamlined we could make the process, because as you know, these are, these are super complex processes to make things happen. And, and so I think right now, very, very high on our, our priority list. And you also have a big fundraising event coming up in July. So this will be the, the second annual Swings for Sophie charity golf tournament up in Massachusetts. Uh, could you tell us about that? Yeah, last year was very difficult, right? COVID, all the restrictions, but we did fill up the course. We sold out of all our foursomes and we netted a little over $50,000 after all our expenses for that. So going into this year, right, why not add more stress and more challenge, but we, we decided to double the size of it, and uh, it's going to be July 26th down in uh, beautiful Cape Cod, so middle of the summer, uh, right along the ocean. We have two courses um, that are at the same facility. If everybody's vaccinated and we're good to go, we'll have a little party on the beach after, but yeah, we're, we're making a big push this year to try to have that event raise over $100,000, which would be incredible. I'm hoping that we can inspire some other GSD-1B families to, to get involved as well and, you know, what maybe inspire some other patients too and, and help continue to raise money. And what else is on the horizon for Sophie's Hope and Cure GSD-1B? You know, we're also talking with the doctor, um, one of our leading doctors, about defining standards of care. So I think we really don't have a standard of care for GSD-1. And so it would be a really important thing to implement. I think we learned after um, what happened with COVID that that would have really made a big difference because patients shouldn't have to travel so far. It shouldn't be so difficult. There should just be a standard set of, um, uh, of care that, that should be delivered and it should be easy to do and it should be a global standard. So that's one of the things that, that we're trying to help with. And then for us, right, where we research is the key to everything. So we are optimistic about gene therapy. Um, what we're trying to make people realize is it's, it's not going to happen on its own. So that's why our organization is important, but we know that GSD won be a good candidate. Um, there is some work that we're trying to push on that. And then long-term, I think, you know, everybody's got their eyes on gene editing and, you know, GSD one B is a, is a disease that, that could benefit from gene editing down the road. We know it's many years out, but something like a patient registry now could pay dividends uh, down the road when something like that does become feasible. And so if someone listening to the podcast today is inspired to help out with GSD-1B, what are some of the ways they can show their support? I love when people reach out to me. So on our website, CureGSD-1B, you can, you can sign up and contact us. I'm always happy to talk. For us, it's getting awareness out there. We're always looking to raise money, raise awareness get scientists excited, get young doctors excited. Um, but curegsd1b.org is a great place to start. Also, sophieshopefoundation.org. Either way, and I'm always available on LinkedIn as well. 
Well, Jameis, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show today to lend some insight into GSD and the ways that your organization is helping to further research and support for that condition. I really appreciate it. And I wish you luck in your endeavors. Thank you very much, Colby. And thank you to Patient Worthy for, uh, for giving us this platform. It's, it's really great. Thank you. Of course. And for our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about GSD-1B and the Sophie's Hope Foundation, please check out their websites. That's sophieshopefoundation.org and also curegsd1b.org. They could really use your support. We'll also put links to those websites in the show notes for this episode. Thank you again to our listeners who have been leaving reviews on their favorite podcasting platforms. It may seem like a small thing, but it really does go a long way towards helping to get this podcast out there. Also, if you have any questions regarding the podcast, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, feel free to drop me a line. And that's at Colby at patientworthy.com. Any feedback is always greatly appreciated. Also, keep up with the latest in rare disease news by visiting patientworthy.com or follow on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Patient Worthy. And as always, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.